You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Sarah Valley. Sarah Valley. Sarah Valley. Frank. Sarah Valley. Frank. Sarah Valley. Frank. Daily face off. Frank. 633 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet Frank. 6. I always forget that one. Excellent. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, as the song suggests, Frank Saravalli is going to join us in just a moment here. Before we do, I had another trivia question about NHL captains. If any of you can name or get this one right, uh, I'll buy you a cookie. There are only three defensemen in the NHL who currently captain their squadrons. Can anyone without looking and very quickly, because Frank's on hold, name the three? Yossi's one. That's right. Uh, Truba in New York. That's right. You're so close. You're almost going to get a cookie. Mm, that's all I got. No cookie for you. It's Jared Spurgeon in Minnesota. Oh, right. To the phone lines we go. That's what I was going to say. Frank Valley from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Frank. How are you? I was sitting here waiting with the Jared Spurgeon answer, so I was ready to go. I knew you knew. That's why I took the cookie off the table. He's like, I have to buy a cookie. Uh, I mean, you took the cookie off the table because I would have eaten it. That's fine. <laughs> How you doing, Frank? It's been a while. I know. It's, uh, I'm good. Summer was good. How about for you guys? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was nice to get away for a little bit. Now we're back in the swing of things. And uh, I guess I'll position this as unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, we are in the midst of dealing with the Bill Peters and Akimaliu situation. Kind of came to a head yesterday when, as we were going off air, we started to hear rumblings from various people on Twitter, including yourself and Greg Wyshynski, who we'll have on the show in an hour, that um, Bill Peters was going to resurface as a coach in the Western Hockey League with Lethbridge. That was made official shortly thereafter. And then we had you know, the responses from Akeem Aliu. We had Bill Peters taking follow-up questions. And uh, a lot of past instances revisited without a lot of closure. So I wanted mm-hmm. to start with you. You obviously knew that this might be on the horizon and that it might be happening. What was your reaction when you first heard that Lethbridge was going to hire Peters as the head coach? I was a bit surprised. Um, I figured he'd resurface at some point, but in this case, I think the big thing that I keep coming back to, especially after hearing the comments from Bill Peters yesterday, the GM and Lethbridge, and then also the WHL president, I, I just, I does, it doesn't really connect with me because it feels like a lot of half measures were taken. And, Look, we've we talk every week. You've heard me on a number of different subjects and I think the in, the entire idea of cancel culture is ridiculous. I've been advocating for people like Stan Bowman who's actually done the work um to to be reinstated and have the ability to work again. No one should be locked up and the key thrown away 
Um, if you've demonstrated an ability to grow and change and, and engage in serious discussion about whatever you've done that was wrong. And in this case, when you have someone reach out to Akeem Aliou, you know, five days before you know you're getting hired and make a half-hearted attempt to then try and connect so you can apologize just because you're looking for support after it's been four years since the incident came to light and 13 years since it happened. I'm sorry, but like that doesn't count. You you haven't done the work. And when you continually reference some program that I don't know anything about and we're not hearing them vouch for you, that just rings hollow too. So uh, I think for me, the big question I keep coming back to is, was there not one up-and-coming coach, one innovative new mind, someone from some, you know, place that, you know, find someone, in, a talented coach in youth hockey somewhere that's coaching a midget AAA team that's done a phenomenal job. Get that person promoted. Like, let's let's come up with some new ground here instead of going back to the same well again for no reason. Was there a relationship between Bill Peters and the guys that run the Hurricanes? Like, how? How? why did they choose Bill Peters? Uh, it's a great question. I have no idea. I'm sure they're interested in the NHL resume, uh, head coach of multiple different teams from the Mike Babcock coaching tree. Um, I... I I think the other part of it too is I was really disappointed in the WHL essentially saying, Hey, we just found out about a week ago that there was the potential for this um, to happen. And it was almost like they were like, well, we couldn't really do our homework because we didn't have time. And the big thing I keep coming back to with that is, well, then delay the process. Like you don't need to, you know, allow this head coaching hire to go through until you feel like you've fully satisfied and answered all the questions that have been out there. Um, I, I don't know why this came together the way that it did. Um, what kind of work did Bill Peters do in advance of this, of getting this job? Uh, I know you mentioned that he only reached out to Akeem Alou five days before the announcement or five days previous. And he didn't to- even do it directly, just so you know. He had a current NHL head coach text, and and I've seen a couple screenshots of the text messages basically saying, hey, um, Bill Peters would like to contact you if you're interested. He he would like to apologize. Right. And did did Alou just – how did he respond to that? He actually tweeted his full response to the, the current NHL head coach yesterday on his Twitter and it was a long and detailed response um, because it's, there's a lot of nuance to this Mm -hmm. and just explained like, look, you know, I don't really have much interest in talking. Um, Here are the reasons why. And, you know, that is, that essentially closed the book on it. Yeah, because he said his intuition, uh, and I think this is a phone interview he did with the Canadian press. He said, my intuition and what I thought was kind of an insincere way to approach me was proven right. It's been 13 years since the incident happened, four years since it's become public, and now when he's up for another job and for PR motivations, he wants to get in touch with me. Um, 
So I did, I did want to add something else that I think this might've been in his Twitter statement, because this is something that you're saying, like, uh, Alou said, I am all about second chances, but only if they are sincere. And that's what it comes down to. Doesn't it? Like has Peters truly earned a second chance or is he just jumping through the hoops? Like the anti-racism coaching that he went to through, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but he, you know, is he only jumping through those hoops just to get back behind a bench or does he truly understand the changes that he's got to make? He also pretended like he was out of hockey, not counting the two years that he ran to Russia and coached there uh, after his resignation and shame from the Calgary Flames. But he, he did. He kept referencing Shades of Humanity uh, a group that I, I don't know much about um, that he's worked with it within the past year as evidence of the, the work that he says that he's put in. But it just, it rings hollow when you can't even do the most basic and simple thing, which is, you know, maybe four years ago after this all became public, I don't know whether it's, Two weeks, six weeks, ten weeks go by after that all explodes. Don't you just take it on yourself to to track down Akeem Aliu and, and make the apology? It's a three-minute phone call. You know, you, you got to get that off your chest. And the fact that he waited this long, basically until he knew that he was going to be hired for his next position because he wanted to check the box, did he then make any effort – to, to offer the apology, it doesn't mean anything at that point. You're just doing it because you want the public support and the ability to say that you did. And I think that's why, just from my perspective, having heard the rumblings of him getting back in the game, I thought it was important to check in and say, hey, did did this actually happen? Like, what what's going on here? And that that's the story. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Frank, some of the other news from yesterday. Sheldon Wait, Keith. before we close oh, the yeah, book on sorry, that, go I ahead. Just, can, I, can I just make one other thing clear, too? Absolutely. Because I did see a lot of reaction on social media um, where people were saying to me, you know, why are you, you know, so hungry to, to go after Bill Peters? First off, not my role. But a lot of people were saying, hey, Akeem Aliu, look at his past. He's played on 16 different teams in a short period of time. Maybe this guy is the problem. And to that, I would say in response, first off, one really serious allegation from him that was proven to be correct. And second, when it comes to dealing with Bill Peters, and this is why the story I think is is so important, is we're handing Bill Peters the key to coach and teach and mentor teenagers, a guy that also punched and kicked NHL players on the bench confirmed by the player players and Rod Brindamore, um, you know, in the last few years, like these aren't allegations. These are proven facts that no one is disputing. And it paints the picture of a guy that has no business, you know, in my opinion, especially coaching teenagers um, and, and mentoring and shaping the next group of, of young hockey players. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you 
kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that it's nuanced and it's layered because there is a lot. This isn't a sort of black and white and, you know, however you want to phrase it uh, conversation. There is a lot of gray area here, and I think people want to try and make it sound like this is either, you know, uh, Peters has to go and he can never be back or. Well, if that happens, then you're just adhering to cancel culture and whatever else. And I think that when we start getting into that polarization and divisiveness, you lose track of a lot of the important details and nuances and layers of a story because they're not all the same. Not everything is, you know, can be siloed off into individual classifications. And I think this is a good example of that is that there there are layers to this and this is not just about one person versus another like you bring up a good point like there was a lot of stuff that came out about bill peters when he was dismissed or sorry stepped down as the the coach of the calgary flames that was very troubling and it doesn't seem as though a lot of those troubles have been addressed rectified or answered and you know i'm I'm assuming that's kind of what you're getting at here yeah i would say even if you find akeem alley to be an unsympathetic character for whatever reason then just have Bill Peters answer for the multiple physical altercations that occurred on the bench of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes in which Rod Brindamore served testament to and and witnessed. Right. Like, it's it's really tough to swallow. Okay, I do want to move on to the other coaching news of yesterday, and that was in Toronto where Sheldon Keefe uh, got an extension from Brad Tree Living, the general manager of said Leafs. Why do you think Tree Living in Toronto landed on that particular two-year extension for Keefe? I think he landed on two years because I think the simple answer is that if you give him a one-year extension, I think a lot of the questions that you sort of had heading into it were like, okay, this is just window dressing. This is a GM who takes over that hasn't worked with Sheldon Keefe before, that saw a team that hasn't really achieved any sort of uh, significant playoff success that has you know, question marks still to answer despite the regular season record and all the playoff appearances, um, he's got more to prove. And so if you sort of give the one-year extension, people sort of see through that. And in this case, I think it's a pretty definitive statement from Brad Treliving that he feels like, even though he hasn't worked with him before, that he's got the right guy to continue to lead this team. So... He shouldn't really, well, I'll ask you, should he be considered on the hot seat this season? I think with this team and their lack of success uh, in the playoffs, that if there's any sort of um, twitch or a a significant, you know, eight-game losing streak or whatever it might be, um, will those questions continue to you know arise will the temperature continue to rise i think the answer is yes i don't think there's anything in the regular season short of you know failing to make the playoffs that's going to you know really add authenticity to the conversation but what i would say is if this team has the same exact or similar you know playoff run next year or you know god forbid for them if they lose in the first round again that, yeah, I think there, you're going to have a lot of different questions to answer, you know, next off season for Sheldon Keefe as to whether or not he should be back, given that he's one of the constants on a roster that really since Brad Treliving took over has 
has changed in a in a pretty meaningful way. Like we're talking twenty five to thirty percent of that roster has been changed out. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the core four are still there. Do you think Nylander? Do you think there will be a resolution on the Nylander situation before the season starts? I don't get the sense that as much as Brad Tree Living would like to have that question answered so that everyone can sort of put all of that to bed uh, before, you know, media attends the first training camp practice and that becomes a story that continues on. I just don't get the sense that there's the same urgency there from the Nylander camp, especially because they're really in a no-lose situation. He's put together a number of really good years. Um, He's played at a level that's above his value, and there's probably only so much that the Leafs can offer at this exact moment in time without making other difficult decisions that doesn't really incentivize them to put pen to paper, I think, at least right now, that the better Nylander plays this year, the better it's going to look for Nylander next summer, whether it's re-signing with the Leafs or whether it's testing the market. The coaching hot seat question is a good one because, um, quite honestly, there's not a lot of candidates that you could look at right now. DJ Smith. DJ Smith's one. I think Craig Berube in St. Louis might be one. And then I just feel like Rick Bonus with how he went out in Winnipeg last year with that end of year presser. I feel like that's a very tenuous situation. But Frank, outside of those, do you see anyone that's really coming into the season with a ton of pressure on their shoulders? Um, I think you guys hit on a few of them. Um, I would think that there's just kind of some lingering questions, I believe, with, um, you know, look at someone like Derek Lalonde in Detroit. And this is going to sound like it's out of left field. I think those comments that Lalonde made when he was working for Sportsnet in the playoffs didn't really go over very well in the Red Wings front office. Um, I think that's an intriguing situation to watch if, you know, even if they're a team that, you know, they're, they're looking to take a step forward this year. If that doesn't begin to come to fruition, maybe that's one of those questions that's asked later in the year. I don't think there's anything hot or warm about the seed for Rick bonus. I think the jets are really comfortable with him uh, continuing to lead that team. And I think you're right. A lot of these other guys, as I'm looking through the coaching ranks, you know, Don Gnato and the Sabres, he just signed an extension that's going to, you know, extend him out for a while. DJ mm-hmm. Smith is a great one. Um, I don't I don't know if it's terribly warm with Craig Berube, but it could heat up, I guess. I don't really know how to characterize the St. Louis Blues expectations this year. Hey, but Frank, other than that, the list isn't very long. What did Lalonde say? I, that must have slipped my mind or I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see he, it. He referenced a a tactic, or a, I, I forget exactly what it was about. I know it was about Tampa and something that they thought or how they viewed a specific. I want to say it was a goalie, and I think it was just a little bit too much detail shared. That not only were the Lightning not happy about it, but also I think Steve Eisenman felt like, "Hey, you're you're property of the Red Wings. Like you're doing this." you know, TV part for fun, you're not supposed to be kicking the hornet's nest here. And I think 
a lot of people felt like it was a bridge too far. Yeah, and I think it was also like some of the systems that he had with him in Tampa Bay that he had brought to Detroit. He was basically talking openly about the industry yeah. secrets, if if you if it was. And I, it was about Vasilevsky too. Is yeah, that, yeah okay. and there was there was comments about Vasilevsky as well. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, on the subject of Detroit, how much pressure is there now for this group to take the next step? Because it's been six years without a playoff appearance. If they miss this year, of course, it'll be seven. That's an awfully long time. There's also <laughs> There's got to be a, a leash to some degree. I know Steve Eiserman is so beloved locally and in Detroit, but there's got to be a certain leash with a certain segment of the fan base where some of the moves, which have been head-scratching, to put it mildly, and haven't necessarily paid off, that they want to see the team take that next step. But there's teams within their own division, specifically Ottawa and Buffalo, who are in the same sort of you know time of their their maturation where they're looking to take that next step as well. So um, how much pressure is there for Detroit to really make strides this particular season? I think it's pretty significant. I think to your point with some of the moves that have been made, I I think the fairest way to explain Steve Eiserman, who's had a pretty sterling track record going back to Tampa, that at this point it's fair to, to wonder if the bloom is off the rose. Um, I, I look at some of the moves that were made this summer specifically in filling out their defense core that really surprised me and I think leaves plenty of room for question. Um, I think the DeBrinket trade will work out quite well. Um, I think it was important to get Dylan Larkin locked up long-term at that number. But this, you're right, there's a lot of competition for those playoff spots with, I think Buffalo is, is a, a few steps ahead of Detroit. I think Ottawa is further ahead than Detroit. And then you start to do the math and you figure out, okay, if those two teams are ahead of them and they get in or, or are closer, who's, who's out? Yeah. How could you possibly make that much room in the East for those teams to take that step that I think the longer it goes on, maybe it's fair to ask the question of all of the success that Steve Eiserman had in Tampa, how much of that came from the scouting department and the job that Al Murray did, and how much of that maybe wasn't enough credit given to Julian Brisebois working as his understudy. Maybe he was the guy that was helping the, the straw that was stirring the drink in Tampa the whole time. That's like the dogs in our show. Everyone thinks it's Halford and Bruff, but really it's the dogs. Yeah. Well, it's not us. No, yeah. it's definitely not us. All hey, right, Frank. Thanks. Thanks for doing this day, Frank. Appreciate it, bud. Have a good one, guys. Yep. Frank Sarvalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the you the best. And Bruff. Seven thirty-three on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. 
Joined now by our next guest, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Wish? How are you, bud? Hello, everybody. I am good. I can't complain. Uh, I'm good. Uh, as per usual, I wish the hockey news was all good at this point, but uh, it's not, being that it's hockey. But uh, that's just how it is sometimes. Let's just dive ahead first into it then, okay? Because you had an early indication. I saw this on Twitter yesterday that Bill Peters was going to reenter uh, the hockey coaching fraternity with WHL Lethbridge. When you first heard it, I asked this question, Frank, too, because I wanted everyone's initial reaction. But when you first heard that this was going to happen, what was your reaction? Oh, my reaction is cancel culture is real. Oh, man, if you get canceled, you're never coming back to a job. I um, sense some sarcasm. No, I mean, my, 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 my reaction, of course, was that this is somebody who should never coach people again as a head coach. Uh, or maybe even as an assistant coach, uh, because it's not it's not simply just what happened. OK, it's, it's also the fact that he he was never sincerely apologetic about it um, un, until he needed to be. And, and that's really kind of where I got a sense of where this was all going is when I, I heard that he had reached out to Akeem L.U. through a third party. Um, you know, like, what are we even doing? I mean, if you. If you want to reach out to somebody to apologize, reach out to somebody to apologize. And the, the moment I heard it was being brokered by another coach, I'm like, this is this is not sincere. This is clearly somebody doing this for a reason. And then it turns out the reason was that he had another gig lined up and, and obviously was seeking to superficially clear the air with the person that he uh, he, he wronged uh, at an opportune time for him. So uh it was i was bummed about it this this isn't somebody that we need to have in hockey and uh and yet here he is in hockey again um why do you think the lethbridge hurricanes were willing to take this pr hit you know i didn't i didn't see the press conference yesterday um and i i i know i know some of the things that peter said but i didn't get a chance to really hear or see the justification from the team i'm sure it's the usuals. I, I saw the statement from the WHL. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's the usual second chances and yada yada yada, and people can change and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> is is the best way to put it? What what their thinking was? Only to say that I know that he's had he could, I mean, he's obviously had ties to the WHL previously and coached, I think, at the University of Lethbridge for like one season. So he's got some some roots there. Um, I don't know. It, it's 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 one of those situations where. Um, like I said off the top, like the, every time you think the sport's taking a step forward, it stumbles backward. And and Bill Peters getting another chance after behaving the way he did, um, not only in the incident but in the aftermath, is is just kind of deflating once again for this sport. Uh, let's move on to some of the work that you've done recently for ESPN, specifically catching up with Connor Bernard, first overall pick at this year's draft. Uh, he's at the BioSteel camp now. I know you talked to him from said camp. And you talked to him about the Connor McDavid uh, comparisons and what you know. And it's not just because they're both named Connor. I feel like everyone needs a Connor now. Connor's the the name for success moving forward. But what did he have to say about living up to the most obvious Connor to Connor comparable? Because if we for, don't, I, I think some people might have forgotten. Maybe they haven't. But Connor McDavid's rookie year was full of stats, and it was. Pretty impressive what he did in terms of goals, assists, and points. What did Connor Bedard have to say about all that? Well, yeah, and but also like if you're talking about benchmarks that Connor Bedard can maybe reach, 
like McDavid's rookie season is one he can maybe surpass. He just has to stay healthy. <laughs> like, like McDavid was a point per game player his rookie year. If, if you're, I, I forgot that he, I knew that he lost the Calder to Panarin. I forgot he finished third in the voting yeah. for the Calder as a rookie uh, behind also Shane Gossespair, which is kind of an amazing little trivia fact. Um, but it, so I talked to Bedard about McDavid and the idea of like McDavid having set these statistical benchmarks throughout his career and, and, and clearly, you know, having morphed into, a, a, you know, one of the best players that we've seen in maybe since Mario, as far as like statistical output and, and the idea of like, what do you do with that? <laughs> Are you using it as a benchmark? Are you just conceding that this person is superhuman and, uh, and can't be caught? And what Bedard said was interesting, which is that he, he, he kind of said, look, you know, I think it's the wrong mindset to just assume that you can't be this guy, you know, just to, to assume that McDavid's McDavid and, and you could never achieve what he achieves. But I mean, I think what Bedard is trying to do in, in what is, like you said, the in, inevitable Connor versus Connor comparison is sort of say, I'm my own guy. Like my, my, my modus operandi right now is to try to be Connor Bedard and, and try to, you know, be the best Connor Bedard I can be. Uh, and not worry about, you know, trying to live up to somebody else's standards or even the standards that, I mean, he called out the media a little bit that he, that the media or, or outsiders are trying to place on him, you know, for his career. Mm-hmm. The Connor versus Connor thing is very interesting to me, though, boys, because, like, I do believe that McDavid has reached the first name ubiquity that Sidney Crosby did. You know, we just call him Sid. I mean, we know who we're talking about. We say Sid. Right. Uh, I think when you say Connor... I mean, we know who we're talking about. Connor's going to win the heart. I mean, like, we know it's Connor. Now there's another Connor, and he might be pretty good. So I do think as a society, we need to figure out exactly how we're going to address this. Like, That's do we true, just call actually. him Bedard? Is, is it like The Bachelor where he's Connor B? I don't know. We're going to have to figure out something. Uh, I, don't, I don't call McDavid Connor, though. I call Crosby all the time. I'll say Sid more often than I will say Crosby. Um, never Sidney. Just Sid, mm-hmm. so, but I'm never like Con. For Con. No, I'm, no, I'm always like McDavid. Either, but, but, but if you go, if you if you go to somebody, if you're like, you're at the the coffee shop in the morning, some some fufu Vancouver based coffee shop in the morning, and and you turn to somebody and you say, "Did you see what Connor did last night?" Like they'd be like, "Oh, do you like, mean in Succession, Connor Roy?" <laughs> Or, or, or do you mean Kyle Connor? Oh, <laughs> they're going to think you mean McDavid. And so, I, I mean, I, I do think he's reached that point of, like, first name recognition. Um, but now there's going to be someone else that either forces us to go McDavid and Bedard or forces Connor Bedard to be, you know, maybe he's CB. I don't know. We're mm-hmm. going to have to figure it out. I think McDavid gets Connor if we're, we're going to go down this road. I think Bedard has to earn the <laughs> co-ubiquity. I don't even know how it would work because he can't have two Connors. It's too confusing right off the hop. But I think we'll have none. It'll be McDavid and Bedard. I think it's going to be. I think, I think, Con- I think McDavid led- gets Connor because he's that good. He owns the J- name. Jason, I think, I think you're right. Is I think it ends up being McDavid and Bedard because I think they're, they're both going to be good. We're both going to have to reference them. Bedard's on a, a top-line franchise in this league. This, is, this isn't like Wayne Primo saying, hey, there's two Waynes now. Like, <laughs> it's like a very different situation. Um, if, what is the one attribute that people will associate Bedard with? With McDavid, for me, it's his speed. I've never seen anyone skate like McDavid does. 
with Gretzky, it was his vision. With Lemieux, I, I, I guess it's like his smoothness, size, uh, size and it's, smoothness. It, you know, like it, it wasn't size and agility. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It'll, do you think it'll be Bedard's shot? Yeah, it's a shot, like straight away. I mean, it's it's the it's been his calling card throughout his career in, in, in writing about him leading up to the draft and leading you know into the you know, everybody, you know, dishonor for Connor stuff that we saw last season, all these teams positioning themselves to try to get him. You know, the, the thing I kept on hearing is I, I had scouts tell me that his shot is like otherworldly. <laughs> I mean, like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's the accuracy. It's the ability to, to, for him to get off his shot in a variety of ways. Um, that's the calling card. And, and, and so, you know, like I, I think Bedard himself said, look, you know, it's a huge step up in talent from where I've been playing to the National Hockey League. And he's right. And yeah. we'll have to see how, if there are adjustments he needs to make vis-a-vis playing better defenders, vis-a-vis playing much better goaltenders. Um, but, you know, from all I've been able to glean from the people that have seen him throughout the years and have scouted him and have uh, touted him as being a generational talent, it's that shot that we're all going to be marveling at. Hey, wish we're having the captaincy debate in Vancouver. Uh, it feels like we've had this a few times over the years. Uh, but the Canucks don't have a captain. Bo Horvat is no longer with the team. So the choices are down to Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, and JT Miller. I would say at one point the polling had Quinn Hughes as the likely favorite. But Rick Tock had just said, you know, the situation is kind of fluid. He wouldn't really commit to naming a captain or not naming a captain. So we'll have to wait and see on that. I guess my question for you would be like, how much does it matter? Well, I mean, it, so it's, it's mattered in certain situations, right? I mean, I always go back to one that I think about where when the Columbus Blue Jackets named Rick Nash the captain, you know, it came at a time when he was pretty young and it came at a time when the team was specifically trying to pass the torch to a younger generation of players. Um, when the Capitals didn't name Alex Ovechkin captain after the Penguins had already given the C to Sidney Crosby, there was that moment where Chris Clark was the captain of the Capitals when Ovechkin was a young rookie. Um, that was them saying, we don't think that you are quite ready as a well-rounded leader to, to take the captaincy. It's, mm-hmm. it's not simply just a marketing mechanism for us. It's an important thing, and we don't think you're ready. So the captaincy is important in the sense that it can communicate what a team or what a leadership group thinks of a certain player. It can communicate wh- what, where, where the team thinks they are insofar as their maturation process. From a functional standpoint, I, I mean, I think there is now a situation in most teams where there's multiple guys that can step up. It's not the Scott Stevens barking in everybody's face thing anymore as far as what the captain does behind the scenes. But, but having a strong captain can be an important thing for a team too. So you, n- you named the three guys that you mentioned. Uh, the Miller thing is so fascinating because, I mean, obviously, like, there's been sort of that tenuous thing that's been happening with him with regard to does he move, does he stay, that whole thing. And then there's always this chatter about, you know, his demeanor off the ice and things of that nature. Um, if you wanted to talk about, like, where the team is going, you'd, you'd probably give it to Quinn. Um, but is Quinn ready for that level of responsibility on a team that still has a chair of veterans? Let's marry the two things we were just talking about. How long is it before Connor Bernard is the captain in Chicago? They are one of the 10 teams in the NHL right now without a captain. And I went back and looked, and it took all of one season, and it was really a half a season, one season in the NHL for Connor McDavid to be named the uh, captain of the Edmonton Oilers. 
Yeah, and, and, and that was, again, like that was one of those things where it just seemed like the natural thing to do. In, in Pittsburgh, it was a natural thing to do with Sid. And in Chicago, you know, back when Taves was young, it seemed like the natural thing to do there, too. When he, I mean, he, I think at the time, was the youngest captain. Uh, it probably won't take long. I mean, there's going to be some other veterans on this team, but I don't know if necessarily you want to throw the C on Nick Foligno, right? Like, <laughs> you might as well just keep it vacant. You might as well just have a combination of veterans and younger players as your leadership group. And then kind of go forward from there. Do you think Rick Tockett is the right guy in Vancouver? Because a lot of faith is being put in his ability to pull this team together and fix some of their problems. Um, I've, I've run hot and cold on Tockett as a head coach. Like I, I, I think that he's got a real good demeanor. I think he's really good with players. I think that players like him. I, I think he's a guy, just by his comportment, that can demand accountability and, and get it. Um, but from a systems standpoint, from a functionality standpoint, I always found his time in, in uh, Arizona to be a little bit lacking, and especially insofar as offensive output. And that, that was the one thing that kind of gave me pause um, for him as a head coach in 2023 is like we are clearly in an offensive league. We're clearly in, in, a, in a phase where, you know, average goal scoring continues to climb. You have to be able to team that, be a team that scores uh, a lot uh, in order to really compete in this league. And, and his teams in, in Arizona – never really blew me away their shooting percentage was always very mid or, or in the bottom of the of the, the standings and so the question is is that a personnel issue i mean he didn't yeah. coach really great teams there he yeah. clearly got better talent in vancouver or is it a systems issue where whatever he's kind of preaching does not necessarily lend itself to to, to solid offensive output and i guess we'll remain that remains to be seen but from a from like a personality standpoint i mean i think he's a good guy to kind of come in and, and steady a ship what do you think about the notion that Vancouver's entering another season and like goal number one is not to be out of the playoffs by after their first 10 games like they have the last two years? It's a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on a team, but I guess we're going to find out what these guys are made of. Yeah. It's like it's like they're it's like the reverse Buffalo. It's like your goal is to still be in the playoffs a month into the season after, you know, starting off 10 and 0. Like is what Buffalo. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Buffalo, yeah, the reverse Buffalo. Exactly. Well, we've we've Buffalo, com- yeah. we've compared it to like the beginning of the season for the Canucks is like the first round for the Leafs. Like it's it <laughs> there's that much there is. Like it's crazy how much we're we're talking about it and what I did like from talking, he just had a Q&A. He's like, "Yeah, like don't run away from it." You know, don't don't try and go through all these things to take the pressure off. Just admit there's pressure and get prepared and see how you do. Because I think when yeah. you deny the pressure, sometimes you start hiding a bit. Yeah, it's, it's a real rah-rah, meet the challenge kind of thing. And I wouldn't expect anything else from him. But um, no, I, I, I yeah, they clearly need a good start. I mean, the the conference itself is is a little herky-jerky. I'm, I'm interested to see exactly how some teams end up performing that maybe have new coaches or maybe have uh, new configurations of talent. I mean, you know, you have teams like Calgary and, and Nashville, for example, in, in the conference that I, I simply don't have a handle on right now <laughs> insofar as like what they're going to end up being. And, mm-hmm. you know, the good thing for Vancouver is they clearly have some pieces in place that they can get a little more health this year. Um, there's no reason why they, they, they should be able to contend in the Pacific, but um, it's, it's an interesting conference. And I, I haven't really like drilled down too deep or still, I, you know, the, the players tour media tour is coming up, uh, I think a week from next Tuesday. And then right after that is when I flip the switch to start really looking at these teams, but back in the napkin, like, you know, it's, it's an interesting conference insofar as some teams a little are, are a little bit more question marky, I think, than we've had in the past. 
Uh, Wish, before I let you go, I did want to ask about the Professional Women's Hockey League. Uh, The big reveal was this week. We're actually going to have Brian Burke on the show tomorrow, who was named the PWHL Players Association's Executive Director. Um, The question that I've got, and I'll ask you, I'll probably ask Berkey tomorrow as well. What do you know or what have you heard about potential affiliation with the National Hockey League? Because the model really in North American sports has been what the WNBA had with the NBA. Uh, Is it too early to start speculating on those talks? Or is that something that is going to be at the forefront of discussions moving forward? Well, they're involved. I mean, like, it's not a formal thing. It's not the WNHL, right? But, like, Stan Kasdan, one of the board members in the, you know, who's, like, running the Dodgers, basically said that the NHL is in a, a consulting advisory capacity with this league, which I think is actually a step further than the NHL has done with these previous pro women's leagues. And, you know, Gary Bettman has said for years, quite infamously, that the league's not going to get involved with a women's league if there's two competing pro leagues. Now there's only one league. And and so you'd imagine the NHL would be the league of their word and get more involved. From what I've been able to gather there, their work with the women's league so far has been kind of, hey, maybe look at these markets. Hey, look, maybe look at these facilities, you know, trying to kind of shepherd them a little bit insofar as, what's the best configuration of teams to launch strongly. And, and, you know, we'll see if it grows from there, but the, the other, the other, you know, partnership between this women's league and the NHL is going to be in them playing in some NHL arenas during the season. And, and, you know, one of the things they've talked about is that there's going to be 12 home games, not all 12 home games are going to be played in the same arena. And I think that's going to be a situation where they're going to be, you know, you're going to see Minnesota play where the wild play, you're going to probably see this New York team play some games and, you know, Prudential Center or, or more likely UBS on Long Island. Um, and then you're going to see them have a presence at big NHL events. I, I reported uh, the other day that, you know, there's, there's talk of a, maybe a USA-Russia three-on-three game that would take place in Toronto outdoors uh, during All-Star Weekend. I heard that from multiple sources. So they, they're going to, you know, they're going to ride some NHL coattails on big events. They're going to get some, some institutional help from the league. But it remains to be seen if, if the NHL is going to step up and, and really, really partner with this league quite yet. Uh, good stuff, Greg. Thanks for doing this, bud. We appreciate it. Uh, I think we're going to circle back later on in the fall. So enjoy a few more weeks away from the Halford and Brough Show. We'll talk again Brilliant. soon. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. Care. See you, Wish. Yeah, uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. I think it's right, right clear right now that Petey and Hughes could not be getting challenged more directly to take over the leadership group and create a new culture, or as Rick Tockett says, a new narrative. Take over this team. They're being told, like, <laughs> and he was talking in the in the interview about, you know, empowering the leadership group and actually bringing them in on some of the decisions that the coaching staff was making. They are being challenged to be the new leaders on the team. Yep. And we'll see how that plays out. I think Queen Hughes responded in a way that Rick Tockett really liked last year. Petey did too. I'm not saying Petey didn't at all, or Petey was just like, I'm not doing that. But I think it was to a lesser extent. Um, which brings us to the captaincy question, which was asked. Uh, he, you know, IMAC did ask, like, are you going to name a captain? And Tockett kind of waffled. Now, he could be waffling for two reasons. Number one, he legitimately doesn't know if they'll name a captain. Or number two, he does know, and they just want to make it a surprise. Right. You know? And he said, uh, you know, that's something, the captaincy, it's still fluid. 
and we're still talking about it. We have a lot of potential guys. It's a matter of now trying to figure out, do we name, name a captain or do we not? We've obviously talked about it. Hmm. Based on him saying it's still fluid, I don't think they've decided well, there's, what, I mean, what they're going to do. On when this, I first yeah. saw it's still fluid, I was like, that's because Pedersen then. He's not going to sign an extension anytime soon. That leaves but the it, whole thing but, open. No, it doesn't it because does. they could have. No, it doesn't because they could have. They could have just said, "Oh, it'll be Quinn anyway." But maybe they. Like but maybe guy. they don't want him to be the captain. Well, maybe I think I, I honestly captain. think you can't dismiss it out of pocket or out of hand that it's not a part of it. I honestly think that they look at the candidates and they're like, nobody's really perfect. No, right? Like you know, JT. Um, had definitely has some leadership attributes, but he also has some things that, you know, he's still working on. Let's, let's put it that way. He's also older too. He's also older, right? He's not, he's not, he's not the young core. Um, Petey is more quiet. He's a bit of an introvert. He's not a guy who's going to go out there and, you know, talk loudly to the group. Not necessarily that you have to do that. You don't have to give the yelling speeches and all that. But he's just he's just a little bit averse to you know talking. Mm-hmm. According to Rick Tockett, this isn't us. I don't know, Petey. But this is according to Rick Tockett. So Quinn Hughes became the leading candidate. Like he was uh, he was up in the polls, right? <laughs> you know, like, he won Iowa. Yeah, he, he yeah he won he won Iowa, and uh, it, was very, it was very interesting. And but they might also look at Quinn and be like, well, are you? fully ready for this. Like it's kind of reminiscent of when the Canucks named Luongo captain. Right. Because I think, and by the Different way, times, by right? the way, remember when that happened, like the team was transitioning, right? But Naslin left and signed with the, with the Rangers mm-hmm. and the core of the group was, was changing, right? They'd brought in Luongo and Gillis looked at the group and he was like, well, who's our leader? Well, the obvious one is Luongo. Yeah. Like, he, he he's our guy. And at the time, the Canucks, remember, were like, it was a lot about just the fact that they had Luongo. Yeah. Right? Like, that was, that really was their strength. Now, ultimately, Luongo was only captain for two years, and then the Sedins took over. But maybe at the time that they named Luongo captain, they just weren't sure that the Sedins were those guys. Yes, that's correct. They were also, it was also a different time, right? If you didn't have a captain back then, there was a real fear that you were a rudderless ship and you didn't have the strong leader that was going to pull you through the tough times. Everyone had a captain. Everyone. You look at the NHL right now. Do you know how many teams don't have a captain right now? Ten. That's one third of the league. Doesn't have a guy. Are Are captains overrated? It's a lot of rudderless ships bumping into each other out there. Are any of them good teams? Uh, Boston. But that's because well, of that a retirement. Yeah, uh, Calgary, Seattle, Winnipeg. So no, so, not yeah, really. Like a lot of these teams are rebuilding. Vancouver, teams. one of those not good teams. A lot of mid in that. Right. Uh, a lot of mid. There. Yeah. Like I, I'm not I, saying I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but if you go back to when they kind of foisted the C upon Luongo, which was just the get the most galaxy of galaxy brain moves. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was you almost felt like you couldn't go without a captain because the right move would have been with hindsight being 2020. Don't have a captain after Nasland. Right. Give it a year, let it breathe, and then give it to one of the Sedins, right? That would have been the logical play. I wonder if they, like, at the time, I'm kind of, where were the Sedins? I think they were just emerging as elite players. Yeah, right. Because Nazi had still been there. Yeah, and he was the guy. He was the guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that there's anything wrong with not having one this year for the Canucks. 
No, ne- neither do I. Like, I don't think that neither you should force it. Because I've seen but, but si- situations across the NHL before where it feels like it's forced. And you're like, now we have to strip him of the captaincy. Later. Now it was always but it, But too. I think it still does say something that, um, you know, we're discussing it. And lots of people have texted into the show. Um, and if you want to text in, text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. And there's no one that's, like, advocating, like, this is the... This is the obvious choice. Like, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. And and there was that with Horvat. Like, the people were like, yeah, this guy screams yeah. captain, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's well-spoken, plays hard. You know, the, the love affair with Horvat obviously changed a little bit in the last year, but... Like, I don't even remember there being a debate with, like, who would the other option be? It was no. just, It was very clearly anointed yeah, 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 Horvat. It, it was Horvat. Um, you know, Jordan Langley says Hughes is from a hardcore hockey family. He's the obvious choice. I think he's the obvious choice of the three that get discussed a lot, like Hughes, Pedersen, and JT Miller. But he doesn't, like, <laughs> when you, I guess, maybe maybe this is, like, just how we stereotypically look at players. Like, because he's a little bit smaller, because he doesn't play a super physical game, you're mm-hmm. like, that, that's your captain? Okay, he also doesn't come across as, like, when he talks, he doesn't. He's not. He's kind of soft spoken, right? Like he just he just talks. I think it's more like flat and monotone. Yeah, yeah, really. That like would hockey. Yeah, that that would be it. So so hey, listen. Um, I I don't know whether or not they're going to um, name a captain or not, and we got to get to Frank Cervelli a bit. But I will say this, and I wanted to end on this because I really, really, really did like what Talkett had to say about the pressure that will be on this team coming out of uh, training camp. Totally. Lean into the pressure, man. And I hope fans can embrace this as well and not be scared of the pressure. This is the head coach. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about we have to have a good start. Well, that is pressure. If we're prepared for it, we'll deal with it. Don't run away from pressure. Meet pressure with pressure. Let's, as a group, attack it instead of being scared of it. Mm -hmm. It's a great line. It's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can do it. Don't run away from it. Don't be like, well, this is going to add more pressure. Crack under it. Yeah, just, just, just embrace it. And, you know, as a fan, let's see if they can handle it. Because guess what? If they can't handle the pressure of the first 10 games of the season then maybe it's telling you something. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.